Welcome back to another College Hoops Mania podcast. I'm your host, Wes Troyer, and one week later, here we are on Sunday night again recording another podcast after another crazy week in college basketball. I mean, every week is. There's always tons of notable results, great games every night, so there's a lot to cover from this past week, so let's get right into this today. The first thing I want to talk about is just news on the NCAA tournament. Going into this week, we didn't necessarily know when the NCAA tournament dates would be, when the games would be, other than the Final Four and Championship games. The others were kind of in the air because they weren't sure necessarily how soon they could play with testing upon arrival of the teams. And so they decided instead of Tuesday, Wednesday, like normal being the first four games, the playing games, it'll now be all four games will be played on the Thursday, March 18th, which would normally be the first round of the NCAA tournament, the first day of the NCAA tournament officially. That is now the first four games. They said they'll be playing those at Purdue and IU and so I'm guessing you know not sure the times of stuff like that but like two games at each is what we're looking at at Purdue and IU that day so we'll have four games on that Thursday after selection Sunday and then the first round will start on the Friday and Saturday which is March 19th and 20th so basically the first weekend is kind of pushed back one day for the first second rounds and then Saturday and Sunday 21st 22nd of March is your second round games and then the next week for the Sweet 16 Elite Eight the regional the regional rounds they're going to start those the 27th and the 28th so what that basically means is instead of the regional rounds starting on the thursday and friday the regional rounds start on the saturday and sunday so the sweet 16 games will be on the 27th and the 28th through saturday and sunday and the lead eight will be on 29th and 30th 30th which is a monday and tuesday and then the final four and championship games like i said was already set in stone for april 3rd and 5th so that it's still the saturday monday for the final four and title game per usual so not much change there just letting you guys know on what the NCAA tournament is going to look like this year and when games will be played but now let's dive into this past week in college basketball first up starting the week off was a major headline game nine o'clock on ESPN that Monday night was the Baylor Kansas game in Waco and Baylor ended up coming away with a win 77-69 it was a game they were anticipated to win they were about 10 point favors going into that game I mean, everyone agrees on the fact that Baylor's the best team in the Big 12. They might be the best team in the country. You know, like I discussed in my previous podcast, they're kind of one beat to Gonzaga right now. Not a whole lot of difference between those teams. Baylor's probably the most complete team. Gonzaga uh, definitely has the offensive firepower, however. But in this game, we looked at Jared Butler, and, I mean, he kind of showed the country why he's a surefire first-team All-American, why he's the leader of this team and the best player on this team. He had 30 points and 8 assists in this game. And when Baylor, like Kansas made a few runs on Baylor, they got it, they got it tight late and, you know, Jared Butler would kind of put Kansas away in those moments. He wants the big shots and he hits the big shots. In, in looking at this game, I mean, Jared Butler had 30 and Marcus Garrett, like that's the primary defender for Kansas on the opposing team's best player and he held him to two, but Baylor did a good enough job of getting Marcus Garrett switched off and then letting Butler attack the defenders on Kansas that aren't named Marcus Garrett. But looking at Baylor's week, so they beat Kansas 77-69, and then on Saturday they beat Oklahoma State, where Oklahoma State didn't have Cade Cunningham, who is their best player and one of the best freshmen in the country, and maybe the eventual number one overall pick in this upcoming NBA draft. And they struggled for 28 minutes. I mean, it was a battle. They trailed for a lot of that game. And then the last 12 minutes, they absolutely dominated and played Baylor basketball that people would expect them to play. 
But looking at Baylor this week, I mean, it was kind of an uncharacteristic week for this team. Against Kansas, they had 18 turnovers. And then on Saturday, for 28 minutes, Oklahoma State not only was, you know, leading for a lot of that time, but they were just dominating Baylor on the boards. And you don't really normally see that for Baylor, where they just kind of get outmanned, outhustled. But you saw Oklahoma State do that to them for a while on Saturday. And, I mean, it's kind of showing to say that, like, Baylor didn't play their two better basketball games of the year, and they still beat one of the better teams in the country in Kansas, and they end up kind of handling Oklahoma State. The final score doesn't look all that close as they end up winning by double digits in that game because they played such a dominant 12 minutes. And that Baylor can kind of do that to you. They can kind of put it on. And, I, I mean, typically they're going to be really tough defensively. They're going to be really tough on the boards and not let people dominate them there. Oklahoma State did do that to them. It was kind of weird to watch Baylor, you know, just get dominated on the glass like that. But yet again, the last 12 minutes of the game, they absolutely dominated. And in that game, just like the Kansas game, Jared Butler, three-point range. I mean, he he kind of killed Oklahoma State and put him away with the three-point ball. And like I said earlier, when, when Baylor needs big shots, Jared Butler takes those big shots and he makes those big shots. He's one of the best leaders in the country, and he's one of the best players in the country. So Baylor goes 2-0 and this week picks up win, a big win over Kansas and beats Oklahoma State on Saturday without Cade Cunningham. Not their best week, but they still got the job done, and that's telling to say that Baylor can do that when not playing their best basketball. More stuff in the Big 12. Kansas, like I said, they lost to Baylor earlier in the week. They end up losing to Oklahoma on Saturday as well, and that makes it three losses in a row for the Jayhawks. They're now in the bottom half of the Big 12. I mean, it was just, what, two years ago where they snapped their long Big 12 uh, conference championship winning streak, and now we're seeing Kansas in the bottom half of the Big 12. So this is this is um, uncharted territory for the Jayhawks right now. And watching them, I mean, it's it's kind of, they have a few problems. I would say the main problem is their just in, inconsistency on offense. It's it's pretty bad. Like Ochai Abaji is pretty consistent and shows up most nights for the Jayhawks. Other than him. You don't know what you're going to get from each guy. Like, you saw Christian Brown this week. Or, sorry, in the three-game losing streak. His first game he had seven. Next game he had 17. And then on Saturday he had two. Like, you don't know what you're getting. Jalen Wilson, in the three games that they just lost in a row, combined for 21 in those games. Earlier in the year, Jalen Wilson was looked at as, is he like, people are talking about, is he the best player on this team? I mean, he was playing like that for a while. He's a mismatch for people. Shoot on the outside and, you know, you can throw it uh, into him on the inside as well, and he rebounds well. And and then the in this losing streak, I mean, combining for 21 points, that's just kind of unacceptable for a guy that you look to to score that much. David McCormick's been all over the place. He had 24-point game, and then he gets six points, nine points the following two games. Like I said, inconsistency. And each guy has shown bright sides this year. Like every single guy in that starting lineup in the rotation has shown bright sides. Dewan Harris has shown some bright sides off the bench as being the point guard and getting Marcus Garrett off the ball. Sometimes they, you know, look a little bit better like that. Dewan Harris isn't a great shooter, which is kind of the issue with him, but he is a playmaker. He's a good passer. He showed some good signs on the defensive end as well. But, like, the problem is, like I said, inconsistency. You just don't know what you're going to get. Kansas is all over the place, possession to possession. They aren't great every possession, like, they take possessions off, and they can't continue to do that. And I, you don't think Bill Self will allow them to continue to do that because you just don't see that from Bill Self coach teams. And then on the defensive end, Marcus Garrett, like he's been in his career at Kansas, just one of the best defensive players in the country. 
and he, he's just phenomenal on that end. He, he disrupts, you know, he keeps people in front. People don't beat him off the dribble, and people just don't really score on him. Like I said earlier, Jared Butler had two, or Jared, Jared Butler, out of his 30 points, two of them were scored on Marcus Garrett. And that, that's Marcus Garrett's assignment, but like I said, Baylor did a good job to get him switched off and then create mismatches and, and attack those mismatches. But Kansas on defense, like teams attack away from Marcus Garrett. When, when they're scoring on Kansas, for, for the most part, it's away from Marcus Garrett. Teams intentionally do that. And you'll see, I think we'll see maybe Bill Self try to switch that up because you want Marcus Garrett on the opposing team's best player. Like on Saturday against Oklahoma, Marcus Garrett's assignment was Austin Reeves to begin the game, but Oklahoma did a good job at you know switching him off. Austin Reeves, when Marcus Garrett was on him, kind of, you know, he didn't necessarily try to attack too much, and they, they kind of spread the ball, go away from him a little bit. But then when he'd get the switch, he'd really attack, and he had his moments there. Austin Reeves didn't play a great game, but he still played a solid game. And you might see Bill Self try to maybe win their screen action involving Marcus Garrett to maybe not switch off like he likes to do defensively. He likes to switch most everything. And you see a lot of teams do that nowadays, especially with the versatility of players and the ability to defend all positions. But he kind of needs Marcus Garrett on that best player because teams are exploiting the fact that you just got to go away from Marcus Garrett because he's such an uh, such a great defender. And if you're Kansas, you kind of want to scheme that to get Marcus Garrett to be on the ball as much as possible. And being on the ball probably means being on the best player as much as possible. So we might see Bill Self not switch as much. I'm sure he's like going through all the options and trying to figure out what to do, but that's something we could see from Kansas going forward. So yeah, Kansas now lost three in a row. Uncharted territory for the Jayhawks. Next up, we're going to look at a team in the ACC, and that is Florida State, who just had a massive week. On Saturday, we saw them just dominate Clemson, and then earlier in the week, they had a big win over Louisville as well, double-digit win over Louisville, and against Clemson, they were up. They were up. Uh, I'm not sure what the most was, but I think it was high 30s in that game, and they end up they end up only winning by 19. But I mean, it was never close. Florida State is now nine and two, and they now have four wins in a row. The two wins uh, before these two were NC State and North Carolina. So their four wins in a row are against all quality teams, and somehow they're unranked. I mean, there will be a new poll tomorrow, and they'll definitely be ranked in that poll, but I'm not really sure how they were unranked even going into this week. This is a really good basketball team that checks all the boxes, and I'm going to go over going to go over that here soon, but like, I don't know where they'll be ranked this upcoming week because they were unranked the week before, and you know how the AP poll works. It's kind of like previous rankings have a huge impact on the next week's rankings. If you ask most people, Florida State is like a borderline top 10 team. Like, like they're a really, really good basketball team. They're right up there with Virginia at the top of the ACC. It's a battle, and we'll see who ends up finishing number one, but I think most people agree those are definitely the two best teams in that conference. But it'll be interesting to see, interesting to see where Florida State's ranked this week because they deserve to be right around that 10 mark as they are playing great basketball, and they only have two losses this year. Central Florida wasn't a great loss. Their other loss was to Clemson, who was playing great basketball at the time. So we'll see where they'll be ranked this week. But but speaking of Florida State checking all the boxes, I want to go over them a little bit here. If you look at them offensively, they have terrific shooting on the perimeter. I mean, MJ Walker, Anthony Polite, Raekwon Evans, um, Calhoun, Wilkes, they have multiple, multiple guys who can shoot it on the perimeter. And, I mean, even Scotty Barnes can shoot it a little bit on the perimeter. Is he shooting like 32% from three this year? But they just have so many options on the perimeter. It doesn't allow you to help off too much because they have so many threats on the outside. 
But then they also have guys who can put it on the bounce and drive and create and pass really well. Like Scotty Barnes is great at that. Uh, MJ Walker, I mean, he's an all-around player. He's their leader. Raekwon Gray is awesome at that. Raekwon Gray, super versatile player. And and then they have Balsa Kopravica, who has just improved so much. Seven-foot big man. So they have great inside play. They have the seven-footer in Kopravica. And they're pretty well-rounded offense. And then, I mean... And then they have versatility. They have mismatches. Scotty Barnes, six nine, can play point guard. That, that, that's how they've used him this year. Is it point guard for most of the time? And that's a huge mismatch. And Raekwon Gray is six eight, and he's a big body. And you can use him as a screener. You can use him as the ball handler in a screen. He he, he can do a lot for you. Like you saw against Carolina. Carolina always plays two centers at a time, so they used uh, Raekwon Gray. Um, in ball screens with the ball to put both the Carolina big men in the ball screen, and that's something you don't normally see ever. So, like, he, he's super uh, valuable in that aspect. And then they have a leader on offense, a guy you can go to down the stretch of games, and that's MJ Walker. You feel confident putting the ball in his hands. He can score on all three levels. The former McDonald's All-American, people didn't necessarily think he'd still be here at this time. Well, he's still here. Maybe the production wasn't as... Uh, as much as people thought early in his career, but he's really improved and he is making himself to be a great basketball player. And he's the leader of this Florida State team. And then defensively, I mean, they're just so long and athletic. That's how all the Leonard, Leonard Hamilton teams have been. That's how he recruits it to be. They're tall, long, athletic. They get in the passing lanes. They're versatile. They can switch. Guys can guard big guys, small guys, which is really valuable to have. They have a rim protector in Koprovica. He averages about a block and a half a game. And like always, they just make you super uncomfortable. No pass is easy when going against this defense because they just get in all the gaps. They get in all the passing lanes. And it's just really difficult to play against this team. And chances are, if you're playing against Florida State, you're going you're gonna to be outmatched size-wise. Like, like it's pretty hard to deal with a 6'9 point guard in Scotty Barnes. I mean, they have the 7-footer. They're just big everywhere. This is a really, really good Florida State team. That is not necessarily flying under the radar anymore, but I, I'm pretty sure no matter what they're ranked this week, probably going to be underranked. Okay, next up, getting past Florida State, I'm going to talk about Tennessee. Tennessee is a team that I was loving early in the year. Coming off the Missouri win on December 30th in Columbia where they looked phenomenal defensively, they looked great offensively or making shots, it has just been totally different Tennessee basketball. And this past week, it just got worse. They lost to Florida 75-49 on Tuesday night. Florida didn't have Colin Castleton in this game. Florida didn't have Scotty Lewis in this game. It was a really bad loss. I mean, let alone to lose by 26, but you also lost with two of Florida's better or, you know, best players. Probably not best. Trey Mann's Trey Mann might be their best player, but two of their better players. And then on Saturday, home to Missouri. Missouri's a team they beat by 20 earlier in the year, like I just mentioned. And Missouri controlled the game the whole way. Missouri ended up beating by nine, but I mean it was never really in doubt. Probably didn't. Probably wasn't even as close as nine made it sound. And um, just like Kansas, I talked about they have offensive issues. Tennessee has bigger offensive issues. They've been missing Jaden Springer, which definitely hurts. They are zero and three when Jaden Springer is not playing. That's also counting his five minutes against Alabama as he got hurt in that game. So I was counting that in the three losses. But not having Jaden Springer, you just see, like, how bad they are offensively. They don't necessarily, like, have that one guy that you give the ball to and say, okay, go get a bucket. They don't have a ton of, like, their outside shooting has been very poor. 
Um, they, they haven't been as getting much durable penetration as they were earlier in the year. I mean, you saw earlier in the year Springer was getting in the lane. Vescovi was getting in the lane, um, which, which opens up shots because if you're getting in the lane, the defense collapses and opens up for perimeter perimeter shot making and they have not been not they have not been getting that as much like I said not having Jaden Springer hurts a lot and Santiago Vescovi really needs to get going for these guys I mean his confidence just looks lost right now uh, he had a really poor week and they need him to make shots they need him to uh, also be able to drive it on people and make plays happen because he's been pretty absent in both of those two key two key areas for them and Tennessee just looks like like how like they they can't really score points and they and they don't really have the uh, potential to score them in a hurry right now either because their outside shooting has not been there. Victor Bailey did have a decent game, had a solid game Saturday, but before that he's been really struggling. He was starting for majority majority of the games earlier in the year and as of late he's been coming off the bench. Like early in the year, Vescovi was making outside shots consistently. Springer was uh, scoring and now he hasn't been playing. Uh, Victor Bailey was making shots often on the outside. Keon Johnson was playing really good basketball. I mean, really, the whole team was playing great basketball. And Josiah Jordan James as well. And they, they've they all been, as a unit, been playing worse offensively. So it, it's clear Tennessee is a terrific defensive team because they just took two beatings this week, and they're still the number three defense in the country. They're great on that end. But if they can't score... This team just—I mean—they'll—they'll be—they'll still be a solid team, but they'll never reach their potential. Their potential is like top five good. We saw how good they can be against Missouri, Missouri earlier in the year. They were starting to come together offensively, and it's just disappeared. If they click on that end, great, great basketball team. But if they continue to struggle on the offensive end, they're just gonna—you know—they just won't reach their potential. And it'll just be an okay team. So we'll see what happens going forward for Tennessee. Thursday night, though, made probably the biggest upset of the week, the uh, biggest surprise win of the week, and that was Indiana beating Iowa in Iowa City by a score of 81-69. to Going into that, it appeared as a really tough matchup. IU struggled to score all year. Iowa, as you guys know, is the, is the, one, the best offense in the country, second-best offense in the country, them or Gonzaga, people can argue, although Iowa does rate as the number one offense in Ken Palm right now. But watching this game... It was kind of crazy because nobody's defended Iowa as well as Indiana did on Thursday. And Indiana is down 53-44 with 12 minutes left. And game's kind of going, you know, kind of how you thought. Iowa controlling it. And then Iowa just doesn't make a field goal until one minute left. Iowa put the clamps on and they were scoring consistently. Um, and it was kind of amazing because at 53-53, Trace Jackson Davis, Iowa's best player, goes out with foul trouble due to four fouls. Race Thompson also has four fouls. So it's Jordan Geronimo playing inside against Luca Garza. And Geronimo did a great job. And IU uh, separated themselves from Iowa without Trace Jackson Davis, which uh, says a lot about this Indiana team. It's very encouraging for them. And it has to give the, the players around him tons of confidence that you know they can play too and they don't necessarily always have to look to throw it inside to their big man. But... Ayu did a really good job at uh, playing physical inside. They made it tough for Luka. I mean, he still had a big game, but it's not like they were giving him easy buckets. It's not like they were letting Iowa score really quickly like they do on some people. Sometimes Iowa will inbound it, and they'll just get right down the floor, five, six seconds, bang. Luka goes, does a rim run, easy bucket. Or Luka, you know, 
steals a guy inside and they throw it into him on dump down, you know, early in possession and bang, quick. Iowa wasn't able to get a lot of quick buckets and you got to give credit to IU for getting back in transition because you know you have to do that against Iowa and they did really well. And they also closed out on the perimeter super well. Iowa shot 5 for 23 from 3 in this game. Uncharacteristic for Iowa is they are probably the best three-point shooting team in the country. I don't know statistically if that's true, but, I mean, they shoot a lot of threes and they make a high high number of them. So definitely one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. I'd bet you they are the best three-point shooting team in the country. But IU did a really good job at not just allowing Iowa to uh, just get a lot of open threes because what Iowa does a lot of times is their guards are such good uh, three-point threats, but they can also all put on the floor. So... I mean, people close out too hard, and then they dribble right by them, and then it's a collapse from the defense, which just allows for another kickout three, and then it, it's just it's just a domino effect of open threes that Iowa ends up getting from that. And IU did a really good job at keeping their man in front of them, which kind of not allowed for Iowa just to get a lot of open kickout threes off of paint touches, you know, off of little dribble drives, kickout threes. IU, I mean, Iowa still got some. There was definitely some open threes that Iowa didn't make, but I, IU did a pretty good job at not allowing a bunch of those to happen and not being in constant scrambles on that Iowa offense. And, and as many of you know, C.J. Frederick, Iowa's best three-point shooter, was absent in this game, and that obviously hurts Iowa. I'm not talking about this game is in a fact of Iowa fans should be panicked and like Iowa's not as good as maybe what people think. I still think Iowa's definitely one of the best two teams in the Big Ten. Tough to say if them or Michigan's better. All I'm saying is IU played a great game. They had a great game plan, and they and they stuck to it. But yeah, having C.J. Frederick will will be big for Iowa going forward. Next up on the agenda is the Pac-12 conference and just the absolute mayhem that we are seeing out west in the Pac-12. So I'm just going to go over a couple of results this week in this conference from the top teams and just really surprising results. It's, it's crazy what's going on in the Pac-12. So we saw on Saturday Oregon lose to Oregon State. Many people thought Oregon might be the best team in the conference. It's kind of hard to say who is the best. But they lose to Oregon State on Saturday. To be fair, there was no Chris, Chris Duarte or LJ Figueroa. But still, significant loss and a surprising loss. And earlier in the week we saw Colorado lose to one win Washington. Colorado, again, one of the best teams in the Pac-12. Washington literally has won one game all year. They're 1-11 going into that game. Beat Colorado. Craziness. Next up, UCLA on Saturday loses Stanford at the buzzer. You might say, hey, Stanford's a good team. You know, UCLA, it, it, just two of the top Pac-12 teams playing each other. Well, the fact is Stanford didn't have Zaire Williams or Bryce Wills or Dejon De Davis. Three of their top five leading scorers and their second and third leading scorers. So... Yeah, I would say that's a pretty surprising loss. UCLA shouldn't have lost that game. And and then I said Washington beat Colorado. Well, Washington actually picked up two wins this week. They beat Utah as well. So after starting 1-11 overall, they uh, picked up more wins this week than they had previously all season long combined. Looking at the Pac-12 as a whole, I mean, I would say they're about a five-bid league. Uh, the fact is, they are probably better than what people realize. They have five top 28 teams in Ken Palm right now. I mean, not a lot of people talk about the Pac-12. Uh, the fact is, their games are on late. A lot of people are watching on the East Coast and Central Eastern Time Zone. And the Pac-12 schedule a lot of those games late, so not a lot of people get to see them. They have done a better job this year at getting some earlier games. They have some 5 o'clock tips sometimes, which is good for them to have some standalone games for people to watch. But... 
they're looking about a five bid league this year. They'd they would probably be a six bid league if Arizona wasn't uh, if they didn't self impose a postseason ban on themselves. So the Pac-12 really is it's it's an improved conference. They they don't have a great team, and that's what people will say about the Pac-12 is they don't have a great team, so they'll kind of be overlooked. But they do have a lot of really really solid teams. Like those five teams that are are probably all going to make the tournament are all very good basketball teams. And I mean UCLA might have been better than what they are if Chris Smith didn't tear his ACL and they're not as good offensively anymore, but they, they still have stepped up. Jules Bernard's been excellent for them, stepping up and being in the starting lineup due to the Chris Smith absence. But if I had to predict my Pac-12 champ, I'm going to take Oregon. I'm not confident in that pick because, honestly, I think UCLA can win it. I think USC has a real shot at winning it. I think Colorado can win it. But I do love the size and versatility of Chris Duarte, Eugene Omarui, and um, Eric Williams. They're all 6'6". Chris Duarte, being a 6'6 guard, is just really, really tough to guard. I think he's going to be the Pac-12 uh, player of the year. There's other good candidates. Candidates Evan Mobley's having a great year for USC. Kenley Wright's having a great year for Colorado. There's great players in this league, but I do think Chris Duarte, I think he's the best player in the conference, and I like that he's on Oregon. So if I had to pick a Pac-12 champ, I'll take Oregon right now with not a whole lot of confidence because it is hard to say. The Pac-12 is a mess, and it's it, you don't know what to expect night to night as we saw this past week in that conference. Okay, now I'm just going to cover some more notable results from this past week. There's so much to talk about. It's hard to talk about everything in depth. So I'm going to go over a number of Number of notable results rather quickly here. Starting off, Villanova went 2-0. They got wins over Seton Hall and Providence after being on pause for a number of days. So encouraging for Villanova to come back and pick up two quality wins over two of the better Big East teams. Seton Hall is a very good team, and they took care of business there. Villanova did look a little uh, off offensively. It's encouraging that they played good enough defensively to win games against two quality opponents, but... They weren't making shots that they normally would hit. I mean, they were still getting the right actions, the same great Villanova free-flowing motion offense that Jay Wright runs. But, I mean, Jeremiah Robinson Earl was kind of struggling offensively, and they they just weren't making shots at the same clip that, same clip that they normally do. But nonetheless, you can't complain with 2-0, and Villanova's back, so it's nice to see them playing basketball again. Um, Michigan went 2-0 this week with wins over Maryland and Purdue after losing to Minnesota in their previous game coming into this week. So Michigan's back on track. Their only loss in the Big Ten is to Minnesota, and they had two impressive wins this week where they won in pretty pretty convincing fashion. Other note on Michigan is the whole athletic department is actually shutting down for at least 14 days, so that's something to monitor what the Michigan athletic department is doing going forward due to a new COVID-19 variant that is in the university and... So they decided to shut down for 14 days at least. So that's something to note. That's a big bummer for the Michigan basketball team as you don't know what to expect in the Michigan athletic department going forward. So that was big news for the university and for Michigan and the Big Ten Conference. Uh, Next up in the SEC, Alabama is playing excellent basketball. I touched on them in the last podcast how much I love them and I love their versatility. And in this past week, they dominated LSU, a game where they hit 23 threes. They, they beat their own SEC record for uh, most threes in a single game. And then they also beat Mississippi State on Saturday. They are just playing amazing basketball. 
Alabama is probably a top 10 team at the moment, and they're not going to be ranked there, but that's how well they're playing right now. After and, and they had a huge week this week. So they continue to play great basketball and is playing by far the best basketball in the SEC at the moment. Next result, UConn. Two losses this week to St. John's and Creighton. No shame in the Creighton loss. St. John's loss at home earlier in the week on Martin Luther King Jr. Day was a bit of a concern. They're struggling without James Booknight, especially on the offensive end. They need him back, and they need him back soon. He had elbow surgery, and it's still going to be a little bit till he comes back, but they miss him greatly, and they're struggling without him. Uh, Syracuse. Syracuse put together two dominating wins over Miami and Virginia Tech. This is a team a lot of people were excited about as they were returning. Core guys, Joe Girard, Buddy Bayheim, Quincy Garrier, uh, Malik Dolajai, and they're starting to play great basketball with those two great wins over Miami and Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, obviously, the bigger of the two wins, but they dominated both teams. They finally were stopping people defensively. They were really struggling on that end. Their zone looked a lot better this past week, and they did a great job against Virginia Tech of not letting Jalen Cohn to get going because Jalen Cohn, when Jalen Cohn goes, the Hokies go, and you got to really pay close attention to him. He comes off the bench, and he can kind of hit you out of nowhere because he doesn't start, but that guy moves off the ball better than anybody in college basketball. Syracuse, despite playing his own, uh, had to note that, and you know, whoever, whichever side of the floor he's on, you got to pay, you got to stick a little closer to him. They did a good job at that, didn't allow him to get going is he only went one for eight from three. So Syracuse had a great week, and they're starting to live up to potential that some people thought they might have had. More ACC news. The Duke Blue Devils has not, have now lost three games in a row, and in Joe Lenardi's latest bracket in bracketologists across the country, they're out of the NCAA tournament as of now. In that stretch, they shot below 30% from three. They, I mean, it's pretty clear their perimeter play is not going. Jalen Johnson has, is back now. He's done some good things. He turned the ball over a ton on Saturday, though. And Duke is really struggling. The the blue the blue bloods in college basketball just aren't uh, like we're used to seeing with Duke struggling, with Kentucky struggling, and with Carolina not being the same Carolina team that we're used to seeing. But it, speaking of Kentucky, though, Kentucky did pick up a major win over LSU on Saturday as they played great basketball again and took care of the ball like they did in that Florida win where people started to get excited about them. But... Yep, Duke struggling, Blue Blood struggling. Houston, a little American Conference talk, American Athletic Conference. Houston is starting to find its groove offensively, especially. They were a great defensive team this whole year, but we're kind of trying to find their identity on the offensive end. This past week, they dominated Tulsa, who is their lone loss this year, and they got revenge on Tulsa and dominated them, and they dominated Temple on Saturday on CBS. Marcus Sasser, ever since um, Caleb Mills, decided to transfer from the program. Marcus Sasser has really stepped up. He's kind of been the alpha dog for them, offensively especially, and he is just, he's just finding his groove. He shot 9 for 15 this past week from 3. And another guy that doesn't get enough attention on Houston, because people kind of look at Marcus Sasser, they look at Quentin Grimes. A guy that should be getting talked about more is Justin Gorham. Highly underrated. I mean, his nickname should be Mr. Second Chance with what he does for them. Nearly 5 offensive rebounds a game. He's grabbing nearly double digits, double digit rebounds every game. I mean, this guy's high motor, gets offensive rebounds, gives them second chances. So he he's an underappreciated guy. And Houston is playing really good basketball right now. Another notable result back to the ACC, Clemson. Like I've touched on them on their losses earlier in this podcast a little bit. 
Uh, they have now lost three straight, and the problem is they have not just lost three straight to three good teams in Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Florida State, but they have lost them all in dominating fashion. The once number one defense on Ken Palm, not long ago at all, going into the Virginia game, they're number one defense on Ken Palm. After these three games, they have dropped all the way to number 24. The great defense that Brad Brownell was producing this year has really slowed down. Teams are lighting up the scoreboard on them, and like I said, they are now all the way down to number 24 defensively. So, bummer to see Clemson. We'll see if they can bounce back in this upcoming week. And the last result I'm going to talk about was a game that we saw today was Rutgers, and Rutgers snapped their five-game losing streak after their hot start to the season. They lost five in a row and were really struggling. But on Sunday today, they beat IU in Assembly Hall, which was it was a big win for them to break their skid finally. I talked about IU's big win earlier in the week, then they uh, they struggled on, on Sunday. But it was a good college basketball game overall. I mean, at least IU's still playing better offensively. They're shooting the ball better. But Rutgers, Rutgers did play Rutgers basketball and played the way that they played earlier in the year. Miles Johnson is really awesome for them. He's not just big. He's really long as well. And he really made Trace Jackson Davis struggle today. Trace Jackson scored seven blows average. Miles Johnson blocked five shots. He grabbed eight rebounds. He's really, really good and played great today. And one of the big struggles that people talk about for Rutgers is their poor free throw shooting. I mean, it cost them the game against Iowa. It, uh, it, it's just really hurt them this whole year. And they're shooting 57% from the free throw line going into the, going into today's game. And they uh, they shot 71 there today. So that was, that was improvement, and Rutgers needs to keep improving at the line. Because you'll see, I mean, free throw, sh- free throw shooting and the numbers there is kind of a underappreciated stat. Games are win- won and lost there. So really important stat to look at. Rutgers needs to get better there, and they did better today at the line. Okay. Enough covering this past week. I'm going to look ahead to this upcoming week a little bit and pick a few games that we have. I have five games picked here for this upcoming week, and so let's get right into it. Monday night, big Monday on ESPN, we have Syracuse at Virginia. Like I said, Syracuse playing great basketball. Virginia came back, uh, came, is coming off of the come-from-behind win against Georgia Tech. They trailed by 11 in the second half of that game. End up squeaking it out. Jay Huff and um, Sam Hauser excellent front court for Virginia. I think Syracuse is playing really good basketball, and Virginia has, you know, they're playing better basketball of late, too. They, they uh, slow start to start the year, but Virginia being at home in this game, I'm going to pick Virginia to win. Uh, I mean, they're a balanced team. They're not as good defensively as they've been, but they're still very good defensively, just not, you know, the same Virginia defense that we're used to seeing. But the mismatches of Sam Hauser and Jay Huff, um, I think that I think they'll be zone zone busters those two guys and get them in the middle and you know you can put one at the high post and then one at the at the dunker position and you can get a lot of good looks you might be able to throw it over the zone a few times to Jay Huff with his length but then he can also step out and shoot it so I like Virginia in this game next up Tuesday night Missouri Auburn Auburn's been playing really really good basketball Sharif Cooper in my opinion I think Sharif Cooper's the best playmaker in all of college basketball he is terrific to watch he had 11 assists in the first half on Saturday, Missouri has five quad one wins. Uh, I mean, I think their resume is probably under the radar. People don't talk about it enough. But I really, really like Auburn right now. I know they're not eligible for the postseason, but they're playing great basketball. Shreve Cooper is terrific. He's must-watch television. He came. He started late this year, so people you know, aren't talking about him maybe as much as they would be if he was playing to begin the year, but 
he, he's so fun to watch. I, I highly recommend watching all Auburn games. As Sharif Cooper is is must-watch. And I'll pick Auburn to win this game. I do think Missouri is playing great basketball, and they played great on Saturday in the win over Tennessee. Really good defensively in that game. But it, watching Auburn, I mean, they turn you over a lot. I mean, they, they like to play super, super fast, so they get people out of their comfort zone, but that's kind of how they like to play, and they're comfortable playing that way. And it's easy to get sucked into the tempo that they play at. Um, and so I like Auburn in this game. I mean, there's so much attention drawn to Sharif Cooper. He's kind of figuring out that he doesn't necessarily need to be a, a big-time scorer, although he has been scoring a lot. But, like, the defense just is so focused on him. There's so many openings, and he can he can uh, pass it all around the floor, skip passes. I mean, he, he hits the roller on ball screens. He, he just does a great job at distributing to others, getting in the paint, and then going from there. So I like, I'll pick Auburn in this game. That'll be a great game Tuesday night. Thursday in the Pac-12, one of the better Pac-12 games. Might be the two best Pac-12 teams playing each other. It's Oregon at UCLA. Uh, UCLA coming off the loss to Stanford on Saturday at the buzzer, buzzer where Oscar De Silva beat them. And Oregon coming off of the loss to Oregon State. Now, they didn't have Chris Duarte and Eugene Omarui in that game. Like I said earlier, I think Oregon's the best team in the conference. I'm going to pick Oregon to win this game. I know UCLA's home. But I think Oregon is better than UCLA. UCLA has been winning a lot of tight games. Uh, they started 6-0 without, after Chris Smith tore his ACL. They suffered their first loss to go to 6-1. But they've been win, winning a lot of those tight. I really like Oregon offensively. And so I'll pick Oregon in this game. Uh, next game, Friday night. Great game in the Big Ten. Iowa-Illinois. I love that the Big Ten always is having a Friday night game. It's something they've started in the recent years. And it's awesome because Friday's kind of been that that night, it's been like the biggest matchups used to be like Atlantic 10 matchups, but now the Big Ten has one one game every night on Friday. So, uh, Iowa-Illinois, Iowa's last game against IU where they lost that game. I touched on that game quite a bit earlier in the podcast. Um, I'm going to pick Illinois in this game. Illinois is really hard to judge because of the fact that they're, they're very inconsistent on the defensive end. Sometimes they show up, sometimes they just look terrible but I mean they're playing Iowa they know they know they know they need to show up Brad Underwood I'm sure is really just uh, drilling it in their ears that they can't continue to play defense this way and so I'll pick Illinois in this game it's really tough to say is both teams are really good Iowa terrific offensively but Illinois being at home I don't think they're going to let them so let themselves lose another home game as they, they've already struggled on their home floor this year so I'm going to pick Illinois to win this game and the last game I'm going to touch on is Saturday, Kansas at Tennessee. On Saturday, we have Big 12 SEC Challenge all day, so that'll be fun to watch. So it is always fun to watch in the middle of conference play with those two conferences playing each other. And on Saturday, we have a great game with Kansas and Tennessee, two teams that are really struggling right now. Tennessee really struggling on the offensive end. Kansas as well. I touched on the inconsistency of Kansas earlier in the podcast. Touched on both of these teams quite a bit earlier in the podcast. Tennessee being at home, there will be fans in the stands as Tennessee has fans at their home games this year. I'm going to pick Tennessee in this game. Um, I'm going to bet on that Jaden Springer is back by next Saturday, so getting him back will be a major factor in that. It's really hard to say, as I think both of these teams are fairly close. I think Kansas is probably better right now with the way Tennessee is playing offensively. But due to Tennessee being at home, I think Jaden Springer will give them a boost, and Tennessee will be ready to go and fired up and ready to bounce back hard after 
they've been struggling and they had a really, really poor week. I'm sure they're not going to let themselves continue to play that way. So I'll pick Tennessee in this game as I think they'll start to get back on track. And this is a huge uh, opportunity for a confidence booster for the Volunteers. With that last game and with that being said, that'll be the conclusion of this College Hoops Mania podcast. I appreciate you guys listening. You can follow my Instagram at chmpodcast as I post games throughout the week there and comment on them a little bit, as well as I'm on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, whatever you guys are listening to it on. I encourage you guys to give me a follow or a subscribe, depending on your platform that you listen to it. Give me a quick rating and review if you don't mind. It just helps me get my podcast out there a little bit more, and I greatly appreciate every rating and review that I receive. Again, thank you guys for listening, and I'll be back a week from today for another podcast for you guys. Uh, I hope you guys all have a good week, and I'll catch you guys later.